Good morning, everyone. Good morning to those who are joining us online as well. As Matt said a moment ago, we're going to be uh, jumping in a very short um, three-week series on prayer, maybe four, depending. I'll note on that in a minute. Um, That's something we've been trying to do this year is just hit on some of the different areas of our walk with Jesus that your pastors have discerned and people have expressed a desire to grow in, whether that be what it means to truly rest, as we did a three-week series on the Sabbath back in the winter, or on the Holy Spirit three-week series that we did a little while ago. And so we want to spend some time now on what it means to be a praying people. And in many ways, this series will be really pragmatic, um, or, or at least feel more pragmatic, um, and hopefully uh, equipping you um, in your prayer life, and, uh, but by no means exhaustive. And again, a, a note on that in a moment, because you guys will have a role to play in helping inform us of other things that you want to learn about or hear um, when it comes to prayer um, in discipleship at Terra or from the pulpit in the future. Before, we, uh, before I kind of give you an overview of the next few weeks, let me just start off with a personal anecdote, a little story to kind of get us engaged in, in the kind of prayer uh, that we'll be talking about today. I don't remember exactly when in my childhood I started to pray regularly before dinner time, um, but probably, I don't know, uh, late elementary school or something like that, and uh, we would all go around the table and pray a prayer, and um, over time, for me, I started to gather and accumulate the most important things to me, um, and then say them each night uh, in a particular order, and it became so ritualistically familiar to me that it's something that I remember as clearly today as I do my home address or my my phone number growing up. And so my prayer around the dinner table when I was young went something like this. Dear Lord, thank you for family, friends, food, good health, nature, music, sports, and everything else I forgot before we ask your blessing upon this food I'm at. And about that speed too, I would always speed it up there towards the end. Maybe you have, do you remember that, Michelle? Yeah, <laughs> she might have even been able to pray it for you. Michelle's my sister. Um, maybe you have a prayer similar to that in your own life, something that you've repeated often, has become familiar, uh, represents some of the things that you appreciate, care about the most um, in life and in your walk with God. Certainly those types of prayers can become rote, uh, meaning they can become things that are just rehearsed over and over again without thinking much about them, but there can actually be something really beautiful too about having these pre-existing words that we've established that we can lean on for prayer to orient our hearts and our minds towards those things that God cares most about and wants us to care most about. And yeah, that list was lacking a few things, I'm sure, but man, it's a good list to this day. I'm thankful for those things, and so uh, I remember that prayer. That's a a bit of a a hint as to where we'll be going today. Today, um, Today's focus is going to be on praying God's word, or the value of actually praying pre-existing prayers. I mean, we prayed one a moment ago um, together as a congregation, and there's value in that. It's not the only form of prayer. It can be a launch pad and a training grounds for other forms of prayer, but I I don't want to skip past it either, and so we'll spend some time talking about praying God's word today, and then in a moment I'll talk about where we're going in future weeks uh, with the other forms of prayer. But first, I just want to share with you, step back for a moment, and share with you just a little bit more broadly why prayer is important to me. And if it's important to me, then on some level, each of these reasons, that's, it's important for you as well or for any Christian anywhere around the world. Um, so this is it's personalized. It's a, it's a bit 
um, devotional, but um, some of the reasons why prayer is important to me. Number one, because I want to be happy. Really. And I'll try to draw the connection and the link for you in a moment to happiness from prayer. And by happiness, too, I know that there are connotations with that word, uh, especially as Christians, where we might want to distance ourselves from it because uh, it's superficial, it's something that's temporary. But all I mean by happiness in the truest, most deep sense is um, a joy that transcends my circumstances. Um, And so we see this kind of happiness or joy expressed by people like King David in the Psalms. And he tells us where the source of that joy is. He says in Psalm 16, verses 5 to 6, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines, the boundary lines, figuratively and literally, of the land that he lived in, have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance, he says. And all of that is in reference to the Lord as his source of joy. He finishes that psalm toward the end saying, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And by the way, all this is in the context of a prayer. It's a psalm that he's saying these things. David's also the same one who says in Psalm 34, a little bit later in, in, the, in the Psalms, uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So the Lord is the, sense, is the source of our joy, our truest happiness. There's a way that we can taste and see the Lord as our truest form of happiness, and prayer has a significant part to play in that. If you'll humor me for a moment... I want to share with you an analogy uh, that really is of the Christian walk, the journey of discipleship or growing in Christ or sanctification uh, or spiritual formation. There's a lot of different words for it, but how we grow in Christ and where we experience joy in this process, the process we must go through if the fruit of it is to be joy. And I like to talk about this at Terra. I think this is, is the lifeblood of what it means to be a people following after God is how are we spiritually formed? And so this is a little bit broader right now than just prayer in particular that I'll be talking about, but I want you to see where prayer vitally fits into this process. So the analogy I'm going to use for you, it'll work for some, maybe not for others, I've not used it before, it came to mind this week, is of baking. Making cookies in particular, okay, as a process that actually parallels, I'm getting some thumbs up, maybe some people already know where I'm going with this, that parallels with our discipleship journey. When you bake, you start out with what? Ingredients, but those ingredients we would quantify and call a recipe, right? And so you're not getting anywhere without a recipe. You need that recipe. I'm not talking about once you get down the road and you've got it memorized and you intuitively do stuff. If you don't know anything about baking or very little, you need to start with a recipe. But at the same time, it would be ludicrous. It would be crazy to think that that recipe is going to end in satisfaction in and of itself, that you're going to be satisfied and filled with joy and happiness just by reading a recipe over and over again, right? So likewise, with the Word of God or the Scriptures, they are essential to knowing God, but they are not enough on their own. The Pharisees proved as much to us. They knew it better than anyone in their day and probably most people in our own. And yet, their hearts were dead towards God. They didn't have joy in the Lord in the way that God desires it for us. And so, in order for God's word or a recipe to become anything more than just information, in the context of Christian discipleship, we need some things. We need, first of all, the Holy Spirit, who we only have as a gift from God at the point at which we are saved by placing our faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then also we need then to engage with the God of the Word. 
The information on the page of the scripture is not enough. We need to learn how to engage with him. But how do we do that? Well, that's where we'll shift from, if you will, the, the eternal, as a lens we talk about at Terra Nova in discipleship language, God revealing himself through the word or the recipe into the internal, the pilgrim journey which we'll call mixing the ingredients together. Now we have these tangible ingredients. We're putting them in the bowl. We're mixing them together. And I would liken this to things like meditation and prayer in the Christian life. Okay, now there's a fine line between meditation and prayer, meaning there's a lot of overlap between the two. It's hard to draw distinctions. They work hand in hand with each other. But in short, I would say meditation is pondering something over and over again in an intentional way, wrestling with it in order to be changed by it, to let it sink in. There's a Hebrew word in the Old Testament. We've talked about it before. I think it's the one that was used of Hannah in the Old Testament who was in the temple day after day um, praying to God, desperate for a child, and, and she was mumbling And Eli, uh, the priest at the time, the high priest, saw her and mistook it as her being drunk. And the word in Hebrew for one of them, anyway, for meditation is haggah. It is what she was doing. It's mumbling or murmuring to ourselves something over and over again, typically a prayer or something true about God. And as we do this, the purpose of meditation or this form of prayer, it starts to sink in. The Holy Spirit uses that to begin to turn on the light bulb upstairs and understand who God is in a different way. He speaks to us through that form of meditative prayer. Um, We'll actually be in week three talking about listening prayer and probably get into more of that kind of idea then. At this point in our journey, whether it's discipleship or our making cookies, we have something now of substance to work with, right? There There's actually uh, something we can take some joy from in the context of the recipe. We've got some cookie dough. Who doesn't like cookie dough, right? Although growing up, we never were able to eat cookie dough because my mom would always warn us of salmonella poisoning. So, and if I if you if I may stretch this analogy, we would say that cookie dough isn't enough in and of itself. You eat too much of it, you get a stomach ache, maybe even get food poisoning from it. So there's another step in this journey towards ultimate joy. Prayer is integral, and it's the start of joy in communing with our Father. But we finally have to bake that dough in order to make these cookies. All right, and that's kind of the external lens, the outward-focused application lens of following after Jesus. One simple word for it would be obedience. I've talked before, using different analogies, of this idea of the sanctification through obedience concept, where God actually meets us in the midst of putting into practice the things he's revealed to us, and that's where genuine transformation takes place. That's where deeper intimacy with knowing and understanding him takes place. So if you put these cookies into the oven, you've got this dough, they bake, but what's the source of what bakes them? Heat. And the cookie dough doesn't supply that heat, it's from an external source. And so my point there is that Once we put into practice what God has revealed to us, he, as only he can, meets us in the midst of that and does something transformatively in our hearts and in our lives. Um, It's God, in the midst of our obedience, forging us by his presence and power, but only when we, by faith, step out in obedience. And it yields the final product of, in Christian language, fruitfulness. One of those fruits being joy, right? Or fruitfulness in the form of a fully baked chocolate chip cookie we can now enjoy. 
So ultimately, the end product of this journey of the eternal God revealing himself, the internal pilgrim journey of just entering into relationship with him through prayer and other things, and then putting that into practice, whatever he's revealed, ultimately the end product of that is more of God. He increasingly becomes, as David said, our chosen portion in whom is all our delight, the one in whose presence are pleasures forevermore. So yes, that's broader than just this idea of prayer, but I want you to see how prayer is integral and right at the center of that journey of discipleship. And so that's the longest one I'll spend time on here in these, this de- more devotional explanation for the importance of prayer. But the first reason prayer is so important is because I want to be happy. And prayer is a vital part of that. Secondly, is because I'm designed and you are as well to be dependent. We don't live that way all the time, if we're honest, if I'm honest. But we are designed to be dependent. We are finite beings. And have you ever thought about how prayer and what it actually is? is it's implicit that we are dependent. We are depending upon God. Right? If you're adoring him, that is a little bit different. But pretty much any form of intercession or petitionary prayer, I'll define and explain those things a little bit later, we are implying, whether we realize it or not, I cannot do this on my own. I need your help, God because we're designed to be dependent. Think about it. Why do we go to God and ask him for wisdom? Because we recognize that there's a wisdom that transcends our own that we need from him. Why do we petition God or ask him for him to meet our needs? Because at our most lucid moments, we recognize that he is the ultimate provider of everything that we need. If he's the one that provides the food for the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field, well, how much more is he then responsible for providing for our needs? So we go to him in prayer and we ask him for those things. When we intercede on behalf of others, it means when we pray for the needs of others, not just our own. Some of the things that I know I pray for are people's salvation or for their growth in areas of struggle and weakness for their healing or for their protection in certain instances. Why am I praying these things? Because I can't provide those things ultimately for them. Only God can. Prayer is a means of expressing your dependence. Part of your identity is as a dependent one, made to be dependent on him. And when we don't, there are real ways in which we are missing out on God's provision. God says to us through his word, you have not because you ask not. Prayer isn't just a ritual we go through because we're supposed to. It's, it has real implications for our lives and for those around us. And then the third reason that prayer is so important to me is because it serves to remind me of reality, to, to recalibrate my heart and mind on objective truth, something outside of myself. We'll talk more about this actually in a few minutes, but prayer, when it starts off by acknowledging who God is and by asking him to reveal himself to us, serves to interrupt all the clamor and the noise of the world around us that has competing ideas that are oftentimes antithetical to God's truth. So, for example, oftentimes we can find ourselves saying things like, man, I won't be happy or I can't be happy unless I have X. When we go to God in prayer, oftentimes what he does is he reminds us of the fact that he is our true portion. I am your true portion, Daniel. The lines have fallen for you in pleasant places in these ways. Or sometimes I may think because of the way that circumstances in my life are unfolding, God, you must not love me because of X. And sometimes God has entered into my own journey at those points when I'm praying, saying and reminding me of things like, Daniel, I love you more than you ever could possibly know or imagine. But oftentimes my love is best seen through suffering and sacrifice. 
Look no further than the cross for that as evidence. Right? These are some of the ways in which when we go to God in prayer, we commune with him. He brings us back, to, he reorients us to reality. And the rest of the time when we're just like a ship tossed to and fro on, on, on the waves of the sea of, of the messages of our world or even in our own hearts and minds, we're not living in reality. We're living in a false reality. So we go to God in prayer to be reminded of the true reality. So those are just three reasons why I think it's so important that we as Christians pray. Because you are absolutely right to want to be happy, to have real joy, because you're designed to be dependent, and because we need regular reminders of the true objective reality that we live in. So our three-part series, as I've alluded to, is going to start off today talking a little bit about what it means to be praying God's Word, or praying uh, prayers that are beautifully theologically accurate, that are pre-existing for us to be able to lean on. Um, Next week, we're going to talk about what it means and looks like to talk with God. So if the first week's praying God's Word, the second week we'll be talking with God. This is where we'll talk a little bit more about personalized prayer, um, because it's it's never meant to only stay at just pre-existing prayers that we are reciting, but God has invited us into a personal relationship where we can personally tell Him about the things that we're lamenting over, or the things that we're so thankful or grateful for, or the particular needs that we're asking God to meet in our own life, or interceding for other people who are in need. Those are more personalized forms of prayer, and we're going to talk about what that looks like and how we can approach that kind of prayer as Christians next week. And then thirdly, as I mentioned, we will talk about listening prayer. This is where we actually stop talking. Probably the hardest and Well, I don't want to project, but I I do think maybe the the most difficult and least practiced form of prayer amongst Christians, at least in the West, is creating the space for God to speak to us. It's a two-way relationship that he invites us into. And so we'll spend some time, week three, talking about how do we listen to God? How do we hear his voice? Now, I said this isn't exhaustive, and maybe there'll be a fourth message. We have the space for that Uh, at the end of this three-week period. There's going to be another week before we get back into Hebrews. Or at some point in the future, we may actually tackle a little bit more revolving around prayer. I think there's a slide behind me, but one of the things I thought is, well, why not invite you guys into what should inform future teaching and discipleship at Terra when it comes to this ever-important spiritual practice of prayer? And so if you have any questions that come to mind through this series that you feel like, man, I'd like to know more about this, man, I don't understand how to pray like that or what this kind of prayer is for or, man, what do I do like when I don't feel like God is hearing my prayers or answering my prayers and you're facing disillusionment toward God or in your prayer life? Well, just we want to invite you to to text that number. It's just a Google Voice number. It'll go to an email. It's designated for those questions we'll use for this series and even potentially in the future. Just text that. Put it in your your phone as Tara Q&A or Tara FAQ rather. And, um, and just have it available. If you're out and about and you're like, I'd really like to hear more about this sometime, you can just text that number and, um, and we'll find a, a way or a shape or a form to be able to speak to that in the future. So today let's dig into, for these next few moments, praying God's word. Um, of all the ones that I've mentioned, the three that we're going to be talking about, this would be the most formal and structured of the different forms of prayer that we as Christians could practice. Now, there are pitfalls or dangers to this kind of prayer. As I alluded to earlier, they could become rote or ritualistic. Um, and yet, there, there's such great opportunity for us to leverage the value and importance of praying God's Word, allowing God's Word to directly inform our prayers to Him. 
So I want to talk about each of those, the pitfalls and dangers and the value, briefly before we talk about a specific example from Scripture where Jesus all but gives us permission to do this and calls us to it. Um, Oftentimes as Christians, rightfully so, we will speak of prayer as a spiritual discipline. Right? Spiritual disciplines are those spiritual practices that we see prescribed in Scripture for Christians to enter into in order to draw near to Christ and become more like Him. Um, However, Sometimes using that term spiritual discipline, it has baggage that accompanies it for some of us. Um, and it, it, it can oftentimes short sell what prayer actually is. Um, disciplines sometimes, in the Christian life even, can become these mechanical things for us where we live with this idea that, well, what I put into this, I expect something out of it uh, in equal exchange, or or it becomes almost this economic relationship where it's this exchange of goods and services, but there's no intimacy to it. It it doesn't exceed that. A spiritual discipline can become that for Christians if we're not careful. Prayer isn't less than a spiritual discipline, but it's so much more. It may be better for us at Terra Nova to talk about this practice as a relational practice rather than as a spiritual discipline, because that relational part is all important here. Or else we could say it's the means and I don't want to overstate things, but perhaps the most important means to relational intimacy with God, prayer is. Or, finally, I'll say prayer is the medium through which communion with God happens. Those are just some different ways to try to express this idea of prayer as a relational practice. By the way, it's probably no coincidence uh, that the words uh, communion and communication share the same root with each other. God has designed and intended for us to commune with him in a relationship, and that happens most fundamentally through communication with him in prayer. One of the amazing things about this invitation by God to enter into communion with him through communication, through prayer, is that he is available any time. You have an open line of communication with God at any time. As Christians in particular, if you are covered by the blood of Christ who died upon the cross for you and you placed your faith in him, that relational gap has been bridged and you've been invited into the throne room of God anytime you want to talk to your maker and the creator of the universe. He isn't ever short on time. God's never unavailable due to other obligations. Listen, most of us have some sort of a phone, probably a smartphone in your pocket, and those closest to you, you can text or call at any time. And so we've never been more connected in that sense anyway of immediacy with those we love than any other time in history. And yet even your spouse or your best friend or your other family members may not always get a text right away or a phone call. They're not always available and accessible, but God is. So it's Prayer is this amazing invitation into communication with our God at any time, but despite this amazing reality that exists, many Christians live with an uncertainty about how to pray or a disillusionment with prayer and tragically end up communicating the least with the one who's most accessible in their life. And part of the reason for this is because prayer is something that we have to learn how to do. And this is where we kind of shift into the spiritual discipline validity part of this conversation. Because prayer is a discipline to be cultivated. If you think again about human relationships for a moment, a lot of the times people get stuck in a marriage relationship, let's say, because they don't know how to communicate with each other. And that doesn't mean that they can't speak or they don't know words, 
but the way in which they communicate with their spouses misses the principles for healthy communication sometimes. So there are resources like the Bible or books or counselors that offer frameworks and principles and even phrases and wording that can help spouses express their feelings in more productive ways. But eventually those things start to become second nature when you put them into practice over time and start shaping our conversations with our loved ones um, without even having to think about those frameworks or phrases or principles anymore. This is not altogether different than the principle behind using God's words in Scripture as a framework for our prayer life. So I want to turn our attention now to this idea of praying God's words, starting with and really focusing for the next few moments on a key example we see in Scripture, and that is Jesus teaching his disciples, and in turn, you and I, because if you're a follower of Jesus here today, this is for you as well. You are his disciple, teaching them and us to, to pray the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer shows up in uh, a, a couple different places, um, and we're going to look at Matthew, the version in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Luke in chapter 11 also has um, a version of that Lord's Prayer. All this, it, it doesn't have different content. It just has less. There's a couple of lines that aren't in there that for whatever reason Luke didn't record. So the more full version that Jesus taught his disciples is in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. And here's what he says in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or in some of your uh, Bibles, there'll be a footnote that will say, or the evil one. And some manuscripts in the past even had kind of a tag on the end for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, which many of us who grew up in certain church traditions, if we recited this every Sunday, you would include that as well. Here's the thing about the Lord's Prayer. I know that I thought this for a long time, not really having dug into it. When you hear this uh, and Jesus approaches his disciples uh, to teach them how to pray, or in a different instance, as we'll talk about, they actually asked him, hey, teach us how to pray. You might think, oh, this is kind of the spontaneous result, right? Like Jesus just offered them on the spot something that, you know, like was off the cuff that somewhat resembled things that he's prayed before or felt valuable to prayer for him. However, the important thing here for us to see today, this is all important for the, for the basis, the foundation of understanding the importance in Jesus' mind of this form of prayer, praying God's word, is biblically and historically, uh, the evidence we have indicates this was actually more of a creedal type prayer, um, a prayer that belonged to a particular rabbi and his followers, like a type of creed that they would regularly pray. It was somewhat tailored and unique to that rabbi and the followers, though there was overlap between those types of creedal prayers and the different rabbis with their groups of disciples. There's a couple of reasons why we can understand this to be the case. As I said, the account is slightly different in Luke's gospel. In Matthew, it just cuts to the chase of, and Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. In Luke's gospel, we actually see it was the disciples, of all the things they could have asked, interestingly enough, the thing that they wanted Jesus to teach them how to do was teach us how to pray. But then there's this all-important phrase, as John, John the Baptist, another rabbi in that time, taught his disciples. They wanted to be like John and his disciples, or like other rabbis and their disciples at that time. See, this, this prayer was most likely 
uh, was kind of like a motto or, you know, for a club or an organization today. You're, you're not officially one until you have one of these. John's disciples had one. And so, and then other rabbis and their disciples have one. Jesus' disciples knew this. Their allegiance was fully with him. They wanted it to become official. And so they said, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. What prayer do you want us to be praying? What creedal prayer do you want to be all important is kind of the starting point for our walk of following after Yahweh. And so uh, we understand that there was something a little bit more formal about this question on the part of the disciples. The second reason we can understand this is that there's evidence outside of the Bible uh, that we have in writings that shows this prayer wasn't super unique. There was a lot of overlap in the general themes um, of this prayer with other prayers that were being prayed in that day by the Jewish people. And so why deviate from something that you've found that is so substantive and encapsulates the things that are most important to believe and to pray? And so Jesus didn't, by and large, except for one noteworthy exception. And that was that Jesus took this tried and true age-old prayer among his people at large, the Jewish people, and he personalized it. So easy for us to miss living 2,000 years later and not, most of us, you know, not being a part of any kind of a Jewish culture or coming from a Jewish background. Because nowhere all else in all of the annals of Jewish history and writing do we see a prayer which addresses God intimately as Father. Yes, in the Old Testament you see examples of which the analogy is used, God is like a Father. But Jesus teaches his disciples to pray with all the ancient wisdom that many of the other rabbis were including in their creedal prayers for their disciples, but to address God personally as their Abba, their Father. And so no doubt Jesus' disciples were praying this prayer frequently from that point on, probably multiple times a day. Um, And it wouldn't have been their only form of prayer, um, but it would have been an important foundational part of their following their rabbi, Jesus. We can call it then today things like praying God's word or praying scripture or praying pre-recorded prayers or creedal type prayers, um, but this is what they were doing. So I want to share with you four reasons why there's value in praying this way, why I believe we should as Christians pray this way, and then we'll actually do some praying together. Don't get too nervous. I'm not going to ask you to pray anything out loud, but we'll actually put this into practice toward the end of our time. So four reasons to pray God's word. Number one, it's just a really great starting point. If you are newer to the Christian faith, if you're newer to this idea of prayer and communing with God through prayer, this is a great place to start because it offers some structure and, and, and even gives you words that you may not have or know that you can have to be able to pray to God. Um, Donald Whitney, who's an author and pastor, he wrote a book called Praying the Bible. It's good. It's short. I'd recommend it. It's on this topic of praying God's word. Talks about how one of the main obstacles to prayer for Christians is either that it's uh, boring for them because it's repetitive or because they feel disingenuous because they find themselves repeating the same things over and over again. One of the things that he says in that book and some video teachings is, You don't want to pray because you find yourself praying the same old things about the same old things. And I mean, who of us at points and times in our walk with God have not found that to be some of our experience, perhaps? And so he suggests, and so do I, and so would the New Testament, when you see how often they hearken back to the Psalms. Um, the the, The Psalms as being a great place to go. We've already talked about the Lord's Prayer. 
but the Psalms is also another really good place to go to be able to pray God's word because it's a book of prayer. Um, And even uh, ancient Israel would have used those Psalms in their prayer life and in their worship life in that way. And so practically, here's how you can go about that. There's 150 Psalms, so they they cover a range of different topics. You can find your, your mood or circumstance for the most part in one or more of those Psalms somewhere. And so, yet at any given time, if you go to one psalm, it might kind of like miss the mark for where you're at and what you're feeling. So one thing you could do throughout the month, there's 150 psalms, right? And there's 30 days in most months, at least, is you can take whatever day of the month that it is. So today is August 13th, right? And you've got five psalms you can choose from if you jump by 30 for that day of the month, right? So psalm, it would be Psalm 13 or 43 or 73 or 103 or 133. And you just skim them briefly. And you just see, is there, is there a psalm or even just a word or a phrase or a stanza in the psalm that resonates with where I'm at? And then you use that as a starting point for praying. Pray back to God those words. And you could do that on any day of the month and, and never run out of fresh opportunity. Um, so I said that this is a good starting point. Please hear me. You never outgrow this kind of prayer. I don't. You always can benefit significantly from utilizing God's word as a starting point for what you're praying back to him. And I'll talk about why that's so important in a moment. But even for mature believers, part of the reason this can be helpful at certain times is in seasons of dryness. You're just like, I don't even know where to begin. And yes, as we're taught in Romans 8, we have the Holy Spirit within us who intercedes, you know, with groans that we don't understand on our behalf. But if, if you want to articulate words to God that are true, even if you don't feel them, go to God's word and use it as your starting point for prayer. But here are a couple other reasons why it's so valuable. Number one, or number two in this list of four, because it provides some theological guardrails for you. Um, you're less likely, in other words, to think wrongly about who God is when you're using his words, right? The words of the author. You're going to probably get it right. You may still think wrongly at times about what those words mean. That's okay. You're less likely to get it wrong if you're starting with what he says about himself. I'll give you an example of where this can go awry. I think many Christians would rightly understand that the, the, the core purpose God has created us for is to glorify him. Um, part of the problem where that starts to uh, fall apart for us in our prayer life is when we understand that wrongfully to mean that he's some sort of egomaniac who doesn't love us, and that's what it means to glorify him. Um, So for some familiar with the biblical narrative may even picture uh, a scene like um, the, the Israelites in Egypt under the the dominion and reign and oppression of Pharaoh, who's employing his slaves uh, uh, to build the pyramids and other structures for his glory at the expense of their own sweat and blood and lives, and see that being what it means to be worshiping or in a relationship with a God who we exist to glorify, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. And so if you're reading, let's say, the Psalms, and you eventually come across Psalm 18 verse 19, and you read this, God brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Then you have a whole new paradigm through which to understand who this God is that you're praying to, who has made you for his glory, yes, but who also delights in you. And that'll change as you're praying God's word back to him. Lord, thank you that you would delight in me who is not worthy of your love. But your word says it. And I just praise you in this moment for that. So using God's word 
can be corrective or provide theological guardrails for our understanding of who it is that we're praying to. Thirdly, it provides discipleship guardrails. This is a little bit more, less about the, the, the head or the theological, more about the, the, the heart and the hands and discipleship journey. So an example here is when you're praying the Lord's Prayer, for example, and you come across this line, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us, rightly understood this verse is both inviting you to receive God's forgiveness and mercy, but it also graciously reminds us of the condition for that, which is our willingness to actually forgive others. So, if we are always on our own praying and we are molded more by what residual sin nature is in us and the world, we might find ourselves regularly asking God for forgiveness but feeling justified in holding a grudge against somebody else. But if we are instead praying regularly Scripture like the Lord's Prayer, it's going to confront us daily with the need to forgive those who have hurt us. Because if we don't, we can't actually move forward in our journey of following after Christ. And so in that sense, praying God's Word provides some discipleship guardrails for us. And by the way, let me say this as an aside about forgiving, for, forgiving others. I think the fact that Jesus' expectation for his disciples then and for us now was probably that they're praying this daily if, or at least on some regular basis and coming up against that line, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us, it isn't an indication that if we are struggling to forgive somebody that our relationship with God is cut off. It's a reminder that sometimes forgiving others requires us daily going to God and asking him to help us with that. Okay? And then fourthly, um, praying in this way, praying scripture or pre-existing, pre-written ch- uh, prayers that are theologically sound helps us t- to pray from reality and not from a reaction to our circumstances. Kind of touched upon this earlier. It was one of the things that overflowed from my own kind of devotional sharing of the importance of prayer. Think about the starting point of the Lord's Prayer. It's no coincidence Jesus starts here. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Think about whenever you or I enter into prayer. Um, in, in a, some sense, even if figuratively speaking, we are coming into prayer to God from the world, which includes my struggles, my frustrations, uh, the, the rubs that I'm coming up against, the resistance that I'm facing, the sweat and the toil in this broken world that I'm experiencing, the lies I'm being told, the messages that are antithetical to the gospel that I'm hearing. And so if I'm, if I'm going to God in prayer... And that's the influence in the moment, and I'm not finding a way to rectify the the right perspective, then I'm going to pray from reaction to those circumstances rather than from the reality of what's true and who God is. Um, So, for example, if I'm experiencing some of those difficult things and I go straight to prayers of lament and I circumvent allowing who God is to inform me in that process of lament, then my prayers may all be complaint. And I never get to the resolution of, yes, Lord, you ultimately are sovereign and good and in control. Help me to trust you, right? Or if I just go into my prayer life from these difficulties with petition, asking God for something, I may actually be asking for the wrong things uh, because I'm praying from a reaction to where I've been, the world, rather than from the truest reality. Because the truest things are not the things about the world or even me. The truest things are found only in God, the perfect one, okay? Um, So that's why the start of the Lord's Prayer is so helpful. Our Father in heaven. What's that tell us? It tells us that you have 
a heavenly creator God who nonetheless desires and has offered an intimate relationship with you. And it's hard sometimes for that to sink in and for us to grasp it, but when we do, that's a game changer when it comes to dealing with the anxieties, frustrations that exist within us. Or hallowed be your name. That word hallowed, probably not a word we use very often in regular everyday vernacular. It means holy, set apart, so very different than you and I is this God. We are finite. He is infinite and omnipotent, all-powerful. We are fickle. He is steadfast. We are hurried oftentimes. He is patient perfectly. We are anxious. He's the prince of peace. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He's not anxious. We are callous sometimes towards things we shouldn't be. He is always passionate and sensitive towards things that he should be. So we can trust him. When we reorient ourselves on reality, we can trust him and that informs and changes the way in which we pray to him. And so praying God's word is important, fourthly, because it helps us pray from reality and not just from a reaction to our circumstances. Okay, lastly, and this is where we'll, we'll kind of move in a moment into um, praying together as we close. We can use God's word not just to speak those exact words back to him, but this starts to bleed over into next week, talking with God. We can use God's word as a springboard then for our more personal prayers. Okay, one argument against praying scripture or creedal prayers or pre-written prayers is to become rote, as we've talked about, where we're just saying the same things over and over again without really understanding what we're saying. Again, kind of like the recipe analogy, if you only ever just have the recipe and you memorize it or just read it over and over again, it's, it's not going to lead to any fruit or real transformation. But if you pray these prayers like the Lord's Prayer and then you use it as a springboard for your own personalized prayer, then it really can lead into deep intimacy and transformation in our walks with him. So here's what I'll do. I'm going to lay out for you just briefly how the Lord's Prayer actually offers us different categories of kinds of prayer from which we can use as a springboard into our own more personalized version. And then we'll pray that together, and I'll give you space silently to uh, pray in response to the different lines of the Lord's Prayer. So, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is adoration. We are pausing to acknowledge who God is and what he has done. And this can be a springboard for your own prayers of praise. It doesn't have to just be God being a a heavenly father or being holy and set apart, anything that you can name about who God is that you are thankful for uses an opportunity to give him thanks for that. Um, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you really think about what this portion of Jesus's prayer is, it's intercession for the world around you. And by the way, that line is an invitation for you and I to enter into God's kingdom work. It isn't just some uh, passive concession about what God's already going to do apart from us, so I'll say these words. Jesus wouldn't have put those lines in the Lord's Prayer if he wasn't saying, I am commissioning and empowering you to actually come alongside of God in what he is doing to usher in his kingdom on earth. And in part, we do that through our prayers. And so you can use that as a launch pad or a springboard for intercession by praying for the lost who need Jesus, who need the kingdom of God to explode in their own hearts and lives, praying against the powers of darkness that are antithetical to God's ways and that propagate lies. You can use that line to pray for change in our own hearts and in the world around us that will reflect 
God's kingdom ethic so that people will see his beauty and his wonder and glory and come to know him and get as specific as you want at this point. The next line, give us this day our daily bread. The form of prayer this is is petition, which is just a fancy word for asking. And by the way, um, even if this means more, Jesus means more here than our basic physical needs, he doesn't mean less than that. We, it, I, I mean, I, I think it's accurate and fair to say, and not being too general, like we just are so blessed in so many ways in, in the West and in our country. The majority of Christians around the world take that prayer literally, where on a daily basis they are having to pray, God, provide for me the bread, the food that I need to survive, because they don't see where it's coming from. So it's certainly not less than that, but we also know Jesus said when he was being tempted in the wilderness, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We can use this as a launch pad and a springboard to pray for our spiritual needs as well. Maybe you need and long for friendship and community that can help you on your spiritual pilgrimage. Maybe you need rest of the Sabbath kind that we talked about back in the winter. Maybe you need God to produce in you a love for what is good and a hatred for what is evil because you know things are good and evil, but you, don't, you know you also don't feel it as God does and see it as God does. So we can use this as a petitionary prayer, as a springboard to ask God to meet our physical and our spiritual needs. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Different wording uh, for different traditions. And this is just two things. Confession. It's a springboard to us to be able to confess. It isn't just a blanket. We just say, God, forgive us of whatever sins I may have committed and I'm not going to actually articulate them. It's, it's Use it as a specific opportunity to then voice those things to God and use it as an opportunity to recall to mind those whom you need to forgive and you need God's help to do that. And then we have another form of petition in the final line in this prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or again, the evil one, uh, being, being Satan or the demonic forces in this world. And this is an opportunity for us to recognize that there are real forces of evil, some of which still exist residually within us that God wants to sanctify, some of which exist out in this world, and to humbly express our need for God to deliver us from these things, to sanctify us, and to protect us from these things. So here's how we'll close today. What I will do, and it'll be on the screen behind me, is I will, I will pray one line of this prayer at a time, even as I just quickly went through it, and I'll create space in between those lines for you guys to personalize your own prayer, to use it as a springboard for a simple prayer to God that's more personalized. And then when we get through the whole Lord's Prayer... I'm going to invite us to pray the whole thing together as we close from top to bottom. And here's why, in part anyway. Have you ever noticed that throughout this prayer, Jesus uses plural pronouns? Right? He doesn't say, my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He doesn't say, give me this daily bread. Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Throughout the whole thing, it may at first seem like, ah, I wish it was more personal. It's not less than God hearing your prayers and seeing your needs. He's just reminding us it's about more, that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves, the family of God who also is praying and needs to be praying these same things. So it takes us outside of ourselves to remind us we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. And there's solidarity and strength that comes from that. So we'll pray it through twice, essentially. The first time, I'll give you space between the lines. You can pray silently. You can haga if you want. You can mumble or murmur that line over and over again until the Spirit clarifies how he's leading you to pray personally. Or you can just pray silently. 
And then after we've gone through it the first time, it'll be up on the screen, like I said, so you don't have to have it memorized. Not all of us grew up with this prayer, and we'll pray it all through together as we close, okay? So if it helps you, bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now let's pray the whole of the Lord's Prayer together in unison, which is on the screen behind me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.